in our life group, and every time the word sheep came up, we had to bar, and um, would recommend if you're reading that this week. <laughs> well, I want to um, talk to you this morning about Jesus being the good shepherd. Um, we're looking at this teaching series, Jesus in the Psalms. And this week, I have loved kind of delving into um, this, this precious psalm that so many of us will know. But I want to start by um, taking you back to primary school days, particularly nativity season. You know it well. The teachers would begin casting the roles, wouldn't they? And you'd be sitting there awaiting your fate. Now, it might surprise you, but sadly... I was not one of those girls. I was never selected to be Mary. I was never selected to be an angel. You guessed it, always the shepherd. Shepherds, any other shepherds? Yep, come on. We've all done it, tea towel on your head with your mom's dressing gown rope tied round it for security. And um, that was me. Sometimes I was an innkeeper. Um, one time I made it as a narrator, but never made it to the heights of Mary. I've just got to let it go, haven't I? I've got to let it go. There's some inner healing that needs to be done there. It's fine. I can let it go. I can let it go. But I want us to think this morning about how does Jesus shepherd us? What does that look like in your lives? As we unpack these ancient poetry, these beautiful psalms that we're reading, we're looking at the context and we're saying, okay, why were they written? And then we're looking at the parallels in the gospel. And it's beautiful because the more we discover about who Jesus is, the more the Psalms begin to open up to us. The more we read about the life of Jesus, the more we see him um, using them as a reference for his teaching. So we heard in the reading from John's Gospel, Jesus making a nod to the references in Psalm 23. Jesus is saying, you know that I'm that shepherd, right? I, Jesus, make all of that make sense. Now, Psalm 23 is the kind of psalm that we all maybe know very well, made some off by heart. Um, it's a psalm that's read most commonly at funerals. It's the kind of psalm that you read again and again, and different elements jump out at you. I'm sure we've all had a connection with that psalm at some point in our lives. But I want to unpack this shepherding imagery. Where else do we see it in the book of Psalms? Well, in Psalm 78, it says, Then he led forth his people like sheep and guided them in the wilderness like a flock. The same theme occurs just one um, psalm later in 79. It says, Then we, your people, the sheep of your pasture, will give thanks to you forever. We see it again in Isaiah 40. He will tend to his flock like a shepherd. He will gather the lambs in his arms, and he will carry them in his bosom and gently lead those who are young. Now, it might surprise you, but I actually don't know a lot about farming. And I don't really know much about shepherding. <laughs> but I have loved this week unpacking and learning more about some of these references. 
It really has opened up this psalm to me in a way that I don't think I knew before and definitely haven't journeyed with before, that all this imagery pointing towards Jesus. So David, who wrote Psalm 23, he was a shepherd boy. He would have known his stuff. I was reading about the lands in Samaria and Judah and how they were wild, barren places well-known by shepherds, but not by many others. And so when David said, the Lord is my shepherd, amongst lots of things, he's, he's basically highlighting that he's going out there alone, that he has no form of protection apart from God. And in these open spaces, travelers were often alone and exposed to all kinds of dangers, Thieves, wild animals, snakes, dust storms, water shortages, furnace-like heat. Who can relate to that today? All potential threats to a traveller, all potential threats to a shepherd and his sheep. And yet David goes on and says, but I lack nothing even in the middle of this barren desert, I lack nothing. You see, it's the shepherd's job to provide for his sheep. They're placed in his care. And so the shepherd knows that they need food and water and protection. They need guiding. And the sheep know that it's only the shepherd that is going to secure these basic wants and needs. But here's where I became stuck again. Thursday night in our life group, we were all talking about well, like, what's going on in the world. Like the news just seems so bleak. And that day I'd been thinking about what does it mean to lack nothing when I'm seeing stories all over the world of people that lack a lot, that are in desperate need, both here and afar. Wondering, like, what do we do with all the people that are desperate for access to food and the food bank is inundated? And what do we do about the people that are worried about how they're going to pay their bills this winter? And, and what do we do about these wars that we just feel so helpless in? Like, people are in need. And so I had to sit in that uncomfortable space and say, God, how is this good news to those people? How is Psalm 23 a promise to them. You know, becoming a Christian doesn't mean that everything is sunshine and rainbows. I'm sure lots of us know this. And I realize that Psalm 23 isn't necessarily about having all the material wants and needs that we would love to have. But rather it's pointing us to the overwhelming joy of knowing Jesus of trusting him and leaning on his word and trusting that he is the one that will give us life in all of its fullness. And I know it feels easy to say with a roof over our head and food in our tummies. And I don't have the words, I still feel in that place of turmoil. But I remember hearing stories of Communities around the world that teach us so much about the joy of the Lord when they're lacking and yet 
They are trusting in God like never before. And the way they teach us so much here in the West. And I guess sitting in the uncomfortable space is good, right? Because all week I've been, I've been thinking, okay, so, so God, use me. What can I do? What can I give? How can I serve? It's hard, isn't it, when you want to be the person that solves everything. And you have to sit in the uncomfortableness of, Jesus, it's all on you. I want to play my part, but I can't solve it all. And so what does it conjure up for you when the psalmist says, I lack nothing? How does that challenge you? How do we trust in the God who provides? We see it throughout the Bible. God has shown time and time again his provision. And how do we lean into a life where we know fullness of joy and a cup that overflows when maybe we're in a lot of need? It's a challenge, right? And so just to jump ahead quickly in that psalm, if we carry on, it says um, that you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies and you anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. My cup overflows. And there's this imagery that, that David is conjuring up of a host and a guest, of a banquet setting. And David is describing the, the, the wonderful overflowing blessing that he has received from God. Now, Phil Wade often blows my mind with his knowledge, but this week he did it again. And we were talking about it, and he was saying that actually the reference to the cup overflowing is the idea that at the time that David was writing this, the host would signify that the dinner was over when the cup stopped being refilled. So empty wine glasses meant, come on, it's time to wrap up and go home. And yet here, this imagery we have of a guest and a host means so much more because God is the one hosting us and he is the one that's filling our cup. Our cup to overflowing. God's desire for us is to be near us. He longs for us to prepare a table in the presence of our enemies and to keep our cup overflowing means God desires us to be with us, to, to share communion with us, to chat to us, to hear about how our day is going. He's not in a rush for us to leave. He's not the host that stopped pouring the wine and thought, when will they leave? He's the host that says, I can't wait to be with you. I can't wait to learn more about you. I can't wait to share stuff with you. And so when we hold that perspective up, we realize that the goals that we might have set in our life just mean they're just futile in comparison to the joy of knowing God, knowing him like that, knowing him like we're sitting at dinner with him. I want to know Jesus more like that. I want to know what it means to sit with Jesus and, and, and chat and explore and know that he's not in a rush like I am with so many people. But let's jump back into the psalm again. Let's carry on talking about sheep again. 
So what does it mean when he says he makes me lie down in green pastures and he leads me beside quiet waters? He refreshes my soul. So dogs can be trained to sit and lie down right. Apparently sheep are not like that. You can lead a horse to water, but you can't make him drink. It's associated well with sheep will not be made to lie down. They will actually only lie down if they have plenty to eat, have quenched their thirst, and are not threatened by um, wild animals or disturbing noises. So the language of he makes me lie down sounds as if it's some kind of like force involved in it. But the word in the Old Testament used is kateskenoe, which translates to settling down and resting. You see, where grass is abundant and sheep are satisfied, then they lie down and rest. And so it's beautiful to think of God being the one that settles us down, that helps us to rest because he knows our needs. The great shepherd, he knows when we're restless. He knows when we need to stop. He knows when we need to take a moment's pause. But it's never by force. There's always an invitation there. You see, the good shepherd leads and doesn't drive. It's not force involved. There's a marked difference there. And I was reading in this book this week that was unpacking more of this like shepherding language. Um, the differences of how shepherds work in different places. And so in Egypt, where there is no open pasture land, often you see the shepherds driving their sheep with sticks, pushing them towards where they need to go. But in open wildernesses, like in the Holy Land, the shepherd walks slowly ahead of his sheep and either plays his own um, Hello, yes. <laughs> Where were we? Yeah, so the, um, the open wilderness of the Holy Land, the shepherd walks ahead of the sheep, and either plays his own pipe or, or sings his own tune. There's a unique call. And the sheep are attracted to the sound of the voice of their shepherd. They know and they're eager to follow. And it's common practice for the shepherds to gather at midday around a spring or a well for the sheep to have their drink. And the sheep can catch up with their mates and the shepherds can have a rest. But at any one time the shepherd decides to leave, he will call his sheep and immediately they will separate from the rest of the flock. The author of the book tells this story. During the riots in Palestine in the middle 1930s, a village near Haifa was condemned to collective punishment by taking its sheep and cattle, sequestered by the government. 
The inhabitants, however, were permitted to redeem their possessions at a fixed price. Among them was an orphan shepherd boy whose eight sheep and goats were all he had in the world for his life and his work. Somehow he obtained the money for their redemption and he went to the big enclosure where the animals were penned, offering his money to this British sergeant in charge. He told him he was welcome to take the number of animals, but ridiculed at the idea that he could possibly pick out his own little flock among the confiscated hundreds of animals. The little shepherd boy thought differently. He knew better. And giving his own call on his own pipe, the animals separated from the rest and trotted after him. I am the good shepherd and know my sheep and they know me. So do you know the good shepherd's voice leading you? It's not the same as the hired help we read in John's Gospel. It's not the same as just a sheep babysitter. The sheep know the voice of the shepherd. And so what does that mean for us today? It's not the voice of culture that we're following. It's not the voice of the best self-help guru. It's the voice of our creator. What does his voice sound like to you? Lastly, he leads us beside still waters. Turns out sheep are afraid to drink from moving water, even if it's shallow. The author writes, sheep cannot be watered by places where the water is swift. In certain places where the water is swift, shepherds construct nooks where the edge of the stream to make it easier for the sheep to drink from. They, they, they ground it in and the sheep quickly come and lined it, line up among a channel of still water. See, the shepherd knows what the sheep need, even down to that finer detail. They want still waters And the shepherd provides that, whatever the cost. He knows they need to drink, and he knows where they like to drink. And what blew my mind about that is that I know that Jesus knows that about us, in our very details, in the ways that we work and operate, in the way that we rest and work. Jesus knows our greatest needs. He knows our preferences. He knows our wants and desires. He knows our fears. And when we think about David who wrote all of this, he knew that God had provided in many ways. We know that that David led a totally turbulent lifestyle. And yet he found refreshment from all of this in God. He knew what it means to be led beside still waters. He knows what the sheep needs. He knows how to provide it. All of this, though, is to say, I think we need to learn how to be sheep again. How many of us put ourselves in the role of shepherd? Maybe it's shepherding our families, our kids. 
Maybe it's shepherding our workplace, our colleagues, shepherding our own little responsibilities. How much do we obsess over getting it all right? And yet, Jesus is the great shepherd, the one who knows our needs, the one that leads us, the one that makes us lie down in green pastures and leads us beside still waters, the one who prepares a table in the presence of our enemies. He is the good shepherd, not us. And so I felt challenged this week by thinking how many times have I put myself in the role of shepherd? And often it's needed, don't get me wrong. We can't all be leaderless, I totally get that. But in my own life, when I try and do it all on my own, I forget that Jesus is the shepherd. And I want to surrender to him. He knows me better than I know myself. And I want to surrender because he knows best. And I want him to lead me by green pastures. I want him to lead me by still waters. I want my cup to be overflowing at his table. I want him. I want to be a sheep in his pasture because nothing else comes close. And so this morning, what does that look like for you? What does it mean to maybe surrender? What does it mean to take the badge or the hat or whatever it is that you kind of identify yourself with and to lay it at the foot of Jesus and say again, I want to be a sheep. I want to surrender because I need you and I can't do this on my own. So let's be still for a minute. Let's think about what surrender looks like to you. And then we're going to respond. Jesus, this morning we choose to surrender to you. We want to say we're sorry for the times that we go out on our own. Where we play the role of shepherd in our own lives. Where we become self-sufficient. Jesus, would you teach us what it means to be sheep in your pasture? Would you teach us what it means to follow your voice alone? (laughs) 
Jesus, I pray that you teach us what it looks like to lie down in green pastures. That you lead us beside still waters. we want to know your goodness and your mercy for the rest of our days and God we thank you that you are not in a rush that you are not the host that stops the wine but that our cups overflow in your presence that you desire us So, Lord, would you speak to our hearts? We choose to surrender all to you this morning. We surrender our busyness, surrender our to-do lists. We surrender our priorities. Lay them at your feet, precious Jesus.